We don't mess around. We don't waste time. Over here at his hard line. Let's go. from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. Greetings and good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there. I am Jason, your co-host with our sovereign Lord and Savior Christ Jesus at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high. He is in charge. He is in the captain's chair. He's at the helm. He's behind the wheel. Therefore, he is steering this great ship through these crazy rough waters that we call life. So welcome to his hard line. Today is Saturday. Excuse me. No, Sunday. Today is Sunday. November 26, 2023. Man, I'm a day behind here. And you are listening to episode 641. We'll be doing a reading out of Job chapter 41, second to the last chapter of Job. Second half of the show is called Hidden Government Realities. Now, daily disclaimer, please be advised that I'm not a doctor. I'm not a holistic health expert, financial advisor, biblical scholar, or bar lawyer. I don't possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice. And while I am a member of the Michigan General Journal Assembly, in good lawful standing, by the way, I am not the official face or voice of the National State or County Assembly, and I do not endorse or advocate for violence. And please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational purposes, unless otherwise referenced. So there you go to all the Karens and Darrens out there. That's right. It's good jam. Good beat. So I want to thank you all for joining today's broadcast. And if you find extreme value in what we offer here and take away any solid information as well as positive messages, I encourage you, please hit that subscribe button. Share this platform. Share this podcast with your friends and family, colleagues. See, our mission is to spread God's word, encourage people to invite Jesus in to be in their heart while addressing significant topics related to the family, true American history, and how to restore our republic of this great nation through the reassembly of states and counties. Now, I also want to encourage you to engage with our social media channels that we do have. I am growing to be more active on YouTube and putting more video content out there. So go over there, check it out. His Hard Line, it's at His Hard Line. You can find all these websites and all these 
resources at hisheartline.com, by the way. And if you choose to donate to the show, there is an option to do so on the website through Give, Send, Go, which 10% goes back to them for me using their platform. But no matter what you do, I know, you know, God's got this, you know, this podcast back, basically. And whatever God compels you to do, I just want you to say, I just want to say thank you either way for joining us. Uh, But there is also a place over there that you can submit prayers. There is a prayer section in the campaign that you can submit. And if there's anything that I value more than anything, it's the prayers and the shares. So just FYI. So before we get going, I do want to start off the podcast well, with a little comedy. So my wife shared this one video uh, with me. Um, it's a TikTok video. Now, it's a, it's a couple of podcasters. I don't know exactly what they predominantly talk about, but their stories and their bantering. They, these two guys, they're out of Dallas. I don't even know what their show is called. Let me look. Um, yeah, I don't even know what their show is called, but they are hilarious. It, it's, you know, two dudes. And they just feed off of each other's energy as they tell crazy real life stories that occur in their life. And I'll probably play a few of these here in the near future, but I'm going to start off with one of them. So this one guy talks about how he is new to the Tesla world. He just, you know, became a brand new owner of a, of a, (laughs) of a, of a Tesla, you know, electric vehicle. And uh, his story that he shares is just priceless. So let's kind of start off on a on a on a comical note here. This is this is too good. You guys are gonna love this. Twenty four hours of my entire life. Hold on. This is un- worst twenty four hours of my entire life. This is unbelievable. So if y'all don't know, I have a Tesla. You got to charge them things. I'm new to the Tesla world. I'm thinking that the mileage it shows is honest. Don't show me something I can't use. I had a two liter Diet Coke. So I take a full two liter Diet Coke into my car. I'm going to sip on this for my road trip. 45 minutes to Cam's house. So I get into my car with my two liter. As soon as I leave my parking garage, I untwisted. Somebody put dynamite in my (laughs) Diet Coke. It immediately explodes loads onto my face i am blinded while i'm driving my whole car smells of fountain drink we get to cam's (laughs) house the whole group is there ready to go to the casino like guys i'll drive us to the casino 50 miles away my car read 116 miles tell empty if i'm doing the math right i can make it there and back with 16 to spare we get to the casino and i'm like the mileage dropped on this car a lot. And I'm like, it says 46 miles until empty. We can't make it back like that. I'm thinking they got some kind of electrical vehicle chargers has to around. We stop a cop on a bike. We're like, sir, where are the EV chargers at? If you drive down the road right there, there's a hotel. They got some. Thanks, cop. I drive to this hotel. <laughs> I'm like, based on the infrastructure of this hotel, it was built in 1980 and they haven't done one renovation. You have nothing that runs on electricity. This is powered by coal. Like, I go inside. Excuse me. I was instructed by somebody at the casino that there is EV charging. She looks at me and says, what's EV? And I go, I've made a mistake. She goes, oh, we don't have that here. Three miles the other way. There's a little gas station and they have an EV charger. I drive three miles the other direction. I see an EV charger. I grab the little plug in to plug into my charger. Oh, wait a minute. 
shit's not going in. Apparently, you got to get an adapter to fit into your Tesla. And now I'm looking at my speedometer. 39 miles. Tell empty. This is real bad. As we're about to head home, I'm like, hey, guys, we're going to have to find the nearest Tesla supercharger to make it home. The closest charger was 35 miles away, <laughs> and he had 36 miles on the car. If this is accurate, we will have one mile to spare. Commence the road trip. The car was silent. Cam realizes we have a problem when he starts to look at the speedometer. So I'm looking at the speedometer, and it literally is going 35, 34. At that pace, I said, oh, this is it feels good. like it's dropping by I the said, second. Hey, P, uh, that's not good. The car starts to shut down. We have to pull over on the side of the highway. And we're in the middle of nowhere. There's not a street light in sight. Pitch black. We call roadside assistance. <sighs> we need a tow. We'll send one to your location in 60 minutes. It is 1 a.m. Out of the woods behind us, a man in a jumpsuit comes out of the woods. Where where did you come from? Tow truck comes. We call an Uber. They take the car to the nearest supercharger. I'm like, hey, just take me and my friends home. We get four hours of sleep. Cam wakes me up the next morning. We head to the car in the supercharger. I'm grab the supercharger. The hell's going on? It's not plugging in. You can't even charge a fully dead Tesla. What is happening? It is 8 a.m. Call roadside again. They say, we'll have somebody out there in 60 minutes. Cam sees that I am physically distraught. Cam sees there's an academy right across the street. He goes, Peyton, let's just go to the academy. Have fun. Just trying to boost his mood up. There's not know? a smile on my face. He's working hard. And I finally crack a joke that resonates with him. He looks up and giggles. There is blood rushing out of his mouth. And I literally screamed in the academy there was so much blood turns out when bubba gets anxious and pissed off shoes on the inside of his lip i get a call from roadside assistance hey your jump start people are there make your way back to the tesla oh. i'm like thank god my nightmare is over i kid you not four minutes into my drive well i look up my windshield is shattered a rock smacks the out of my Tesla. I'm driving like this. Shut up, you mother. He literally calls me. I'm like two cars behind him. He's like, you want to fuck you, And I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> moral. Then then hope. A moral of the story. <laughs> Do not buy a Tesla. That's what you get. That's what you get. I'm sorry, guys. Look, as a gas hauler, this story absolutely makes me just roll. I love that story. First off, the way he tells that story is just priceless. I freaking, I, I must have listened to this story about five or six different times. This was just a hilarious story. I was like, this is, this is absolutely epic because, you know, that's the kind of crap luck that like I would get. Like that that's a nightmare right there. But it just goes to show you, you can't trust those stupid Teslas. Look, I, I like Elon Musk. I like what he does. I like how smart the guy is. But yeah, like that other guy said, don't show me something I can't use. Like, you know, if you're showing me a mileage that I have 116 miles that I could drive my Tesla, but yet I could realistically only go 80, that's a big freaking problem. You know what I mean? That's a huge freaking problem. Oh, man. Oh, so anyways, but, uh, yeah, that I just, I had to play that. It's just comical. I'll, I'll post that on telegram. Um, that was just, I had to, I had to, I had to play it. So anyway, so, um, 
So today's show, like I said, we're going to be doing a reading out of Job chapter 41, and today's title of the show is Hidden Government Realities. Now, it's going to kind of piggyback off of what we were discussing yesterday, kind of, you know, discussing the differences between the two governing systems that we have that are coexisting, which is the de jure and a de facto governing system. But before we get into that, um, actually, my mom posted a, uh, it was a quote from Edward Snowden on a telegram page that she runs out of Florida. And the quote is, people don't realize how hard it is to speak the truth to a world full of people that don't realize they're living a lie. Let me reread that. People don't realize how hard it is to speak the truth to a world full of people that don't realize they're living a lie. So what exactly is Edward Snowden meaning when he said this. <clears throat> this is interesting because I thought about this and he's absolutely right. Love him or hate the guy. Um, he's absolutely right because his quote gets into the challenges of speaking truth uh, to a world, right? That's entrenched in, you know, in beliefs or systems that might not really quite align with their own reality. He's implying that the act of revealing truths or challenging established norms can be very exceptionally challenging because many people might not even realize that they're even operating within a framework of misinformation or deception. They may not even know that they've been living a lie their whole entire life. And if you think about it, that's a pretty scary thing to uh, burst somebody's bubble on. And I'm not really trying to be funny here, that's a pretty big thing because you go through a big mourning process and a depression of sorts for months, it seems like, until you kind of wrap your head around the fact that, oh my God, yeah, everything that I've been taught has been a giant fib, a big giant lie. Now, oftentimes societies and governments and, you know, other institutions you know, they create you know, narratives and the mainstream media is very famous for this, right? That's why Trump always calls them fake news. Um, but they create narratives or structures that dictate what is considered normal or true. And these narratives can become so ingrained that individuals accept them without even questioning their authenticity. See, that's the problem, folks. That's where that's how we got in this giant mess to begin with. We stopped questioning the authority and the authenticity behind the, you know, these people at the top of the uh, the realm, if you will. <clears throat> See, this herein lies the problem. See, when someone attempts to expose these falsehoods or present a different perspective, right? They face resistance, right? That's we've all faced that resistance. When we try to red pill people, we face that resistance. We 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 face criticism. And then, you know, it's because it's, you know, they they're in such disbelief because those around them, you know, again, they're very unaware that they've been living in a very constructed reality built upon a lie. So Snowden's quote really reflects a difficult. Um, reflects the difficulty and courage that it takes to confront established norms or reveal uncomfortable truths, especially when doing so, you know, challenges the very fabric upon which people have built their understanding of the world. I mean, really think about it. I mean, that's, again, you, you, what you're doing is you're taking not only the, the house 
that they've built up in their mind that they know is, you know, a reality home, but then the foundation underneath that reality home, you're destroying that and completely, you know, turning it all to rubble only to rebuild from the ground on up. Right. I mean, so overall, it's essentially about the challenging, you know, the challenge of awakening others to realities that they may not even know exist. And when we come to understand that our reality might not align with what's commonly accepted, it can be actually tough to share that realization with those closest to us. I mean, these differences in perspectives, ladies and gentlemen, they have strained and probably will continue to strain many relationships, right? Revealing these truths as more information comes out on, you know, questionable established norms, it's going to create a lot of tension, especially when the views or our views, I should say, challenge the deeply ingrained beliefs of our loved ones, right? This clash of perspectives can cause rifts, um, leading to unfortunate loss of friendships and family connections. And, and in some heartbreaking cases, you know, even the dissolution of a marriage, you know, it's, it's very challenging to navigate when you think about it, right? Uh, when when we take when we get this newfound truth and it disrupts the very foundation you know upon which the relationships were built upon see this is why i choose to read a chapter a day from the bible daily on this podcast why because the belief in the infallibility and the steadfastness of the word of god resonates deeply with many people because it offers a sense of unwavering truth a real truth a true truth and guidance in an ever-changing world and so for those who find peace in the spiritual teachings and god's word right reading a chapter each day out loud or even just to yourself that just can serve in a very um blissful beacon of hope and a source of unyielding joy see the scriptures offer a moral compass right providing us a sense of direction and purpose to individuals on their life's journey and regardless of one stage in their personal awakening or understanding the thing is is that the wisdom found in these sacred texts is perceived as an unwavering eternal truth right it's an anchor in a world where uncertainties and varying truths abound so by sharing these teachings openly whether if it's through reading the Bible out loud or discussing them in a Bible study with other people, you know, there's an intention behind this to spread hope and joy and peace, hopefully, because again, we live in a very disruptive world. That's why I say, you know, welcome to his hard line, you know, you know, with Jesus as our host, because he's the one that captains our ship through these crazy rough waters that we call life. There's a reason why I say that at the beginning of the show, because this world is very turbulent and we are in the middle of a storm. And so the profound belief in the transcendental nature of these words, it provides a sense of reassurance and comfort when we read them, fostering a community where the pursuit of these spiritual truths bring people together in a shared sense of faith and understanding. So basically, in other words, you know, the practice that we try to do here of reading daily, one chapter a day, most days, maybe not every day, but most days, it serves as a reminder of the consistency and the constancy of these teachings, offering a source of hope and joy that remains unshaking during life's unpredictability. 
It's the only truth we can rely on, ladies and gentlemen. And with that said, let's get right into reading Job chapter 41. This is out of the New International Version for those of you that you know prefer to read out of that version. So starting with verse 1, chapter 41. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength, and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed about with fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream out of its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it and the folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as rock, hard as a lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Sling stones are like chaff to it. A club seems to it but a piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of a lance. Its undersides are jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. And that is the reading of Job chapter 41, verses 1 through 34. And tomorrow we have one last chapter to go in the reading of Job. Now, what did we just read here? Because from the sounds of it, it almost sounds like it's talking about a dragon of sorts, right? It's pretty crazy when you when you read the description that's given about Leviathan. Now, the tale of Leviathan we encounter this creature in the reading and it's perceived as, you know, with immense power 
and it is described as very untamable by nature, right? Now, through its depiction, here's what we kind of learn. Leviathan, as depicted in this chapter, stands as a symbol of the untamed. It's, you know, an uncontrollable force within the natural world. Its portrayal, as we read here, it emphasizes um, a vast and complex nature. And it reminds us that there exist facets of life that evade our understanding and influence. It's quite amazing when you read it. And while the interpretation can remain open of what Leviathan actually is, it has been depicted as a very large fire-breathing sea creature of sorts, according to mythology. Now, as we kind of press forward in our life, our quest for control and mastery over our surroundings um, tends to be something that a lot of us strive for. But Leviathan serves as kind of like a humbler of sorts, right? It, it gives us a humbling reminder to let you know there is forces and there are controls out there that are much greater than you and I. And just as this creature that, you know, we read about, it, it eludes any attempt at domination or subjugation. And so too are the elements in our lives, be it natural phenomena or the dynamics of relationships, right? Or the unpredictability of circumstances like, I don't know, someone clobbering a deer with a car at 58 miles an hour like yours truly did, right? There's so many things and elements in our lives that are out of our control. And no matter what, we can't, you know, it, it, our efforts will never be able to change these, these, you know, these, these kind of circumstances, right? These, these elements in our lives that we just have absolutely no control. There are just certain things in this life, in the natural world that we will never be able to understand or control. And so encountering the concept of Leviathan here encourages us to embrace humbleness. See, it's about recognizing that in the middle of our pursuits and ambitions, there remains a very broad field outside the sphere of our influence. It's, a, it's an invitation to acknowledge the limits of our understanding and control, prompting us to approach the unknown with a sense of respect and admiration rather than seeking to assert dominance. And that's where, you know, humility comes into play. See, this humility invites us to adopt a more reverent attitude towards the world around us, right? Fostering a deeper appreciation for those complexities and intricacies that exist beyond our grip. And so as we acknowledge the existence of forces beyond our control, we're guided towards more profound respect for the mysteries of life and we, I think, can have a greater appreciation and acceptance of that inherent unpredictability that exists within. And then there's that, fut you know, that futility of bargaining with the uncontrollable, right? There's that lesson here. And it's futile to strike deals with powers beyond our understanding. This is why I think people have no idea. I remember when I used to be a DJ, I remember my buddy... A Jared, who is a rapper, and he, you know, he had one heck of a studio. He had a 
one heck of an independent record label. And he had some connections and in, in, in some pretty high places within the music industry and in the rap world, if you will. And I remember him saying to me, he goes, now, Jason, he goes, are you, you know, when that time comes, are you ready? Like, are you, are you going to be ready for the fast life and, you know, the never stopping and the never ending parties? I mean, are you going to be ready for that kind of life? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, because remember, once you step into that realm, there's no stepping back, at least not the way you think you can step back. And that right there, I think, is kind of, again, kind of encompasses striking deals, right? In my mind, at least at that point in time, right? Striking deals with powers that are beyond our understanding, because it's been said that if you're in the music industry, you sign your soul over the devil. And I'll tell you what, I'm so glad that never happened. And so the story highlights the impossibility of making agreements or negotiations with uncontrollable forces, teaching us the limits of man's influence. And then there's the, there is the lesson of respect for the unseen forces, right? See, this is the other thing that really cracks me up, especially when I try to tell people about the spiritual attacks that my wife and I oftentimes endure. Sometimes I get a deer in a headlights kind of look from people because it looks like they almost envision me like I'm kind of nuts. Like, okay, dude, like you kind of sound a little crazy. Because they think if they can't see it, there's no forces beyond in their physical world that can touch them. So if they don't believe that it exists, then that means that they don't have a respect for those unseen forces, be it good or bad. So Leviathan in this particular case, right? Leviathan's might is so overwhelming that even touching it is hazardous. It's again, another reminder of the power and the danger that's present in this world, both seen and unseen. And it urges us to respect and approach the unknown with caution. But again, people like to get cocky and arrogant and they typically like to test fate and they like to try their luck. And guess what? Those are the people that end up getting their hand bit off. And then there's the lesson on how we need to acknowledge the fact that there is a power beyond our control because this tale illustrates the supremacy of something greater than us emphasizing that certain forces are beyond our comprehension or ability to challenge and it leads us to ponder the limits of our strength and understanding it's important that we are encouraged to embrace a certain level of humbleness and acknowledge the greatness of the unknown as well as respect the forces beyond the unseen, you know, the unseen and the uncontrollable here in our natural world that we live in, this vapor of an existence that we live in. See, I think if we do that to the best of our ability, I think ultimately it will lead us to have a deeper appreciation of the place that we live in, you know, within this grand tapestry of existence. I really do. And I have to tell you, reading this book of Job, has been honestly one one heck of a journey because of everything we see Job go through from start to almost finish. Tomorrow will be the last chapter we're going to read. You know, so I look very much forward to reading that very last chapter with all of you. Um, 
you know, on the next podcast episode. And I really hope that there is, you know, that as more truth pours out about our world and our history, you know, and, and as more of this truth rises to the surface, I really hope that, you know, that some of that will include more marvels that have been hidden from us by the elite. Like, I hope we have the ability within our lifetime to witness more than what we have been exposed to on a greater level regarding our world that we live in. Because I really believe there is so much more about our world that we have no idea about. Man, would it be so cool to just, you know, see more than what we've been taught exists, wouldn't it? I think so. So anyway, so this is going to be the point where we take a quick little short break. Uh, I need to wet the whistle down real quick with a little water, and we will be right back. Hidden government realities, hidden government realities, second half of the show here. Now, this is going to kind of piggyback off of what we were discussing yesterday with regards to the two governing systems that kind of coexist. Now, you might be wondering, Jason, what are you talking about? We have two governing systems. Well, we have a de facto governing system, and then we have a de jure governing system. The de jure is all about common law and getting back the power back into the people's hands. It's about returning states' sovereignty back and dismantling and getting rid of the de facto government. Okay, now the de facto government is basically the corporation. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of cover a little bit of a, uh, we're going to kind of go over some differences of um, the corporation versus, you know, the de jure, okay, the de facto versus the de jure. Now I'm getting this info, excuse me, if you're curious about where I'm getting this information from, some of you may have heard of this website, but it's USA versus US.info. And I'll put it in the chat. It's USA versus vs us dot info it's very 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 educational and um i don't know who created this website i don't know if it's somebody in the assembly but i know many people in the general general assemblies across the country i know revert you know you know they they um reference a lot of information off this website. Very, very interesting. Basically, it gives you two columns and it gives you the difference between a de jure and a de facto and the corporation and, you know, sovereignty. And it's just very, very interesting. Check it out. So this is where I'm getting some of my information from. So what I want to kind of start reading, um, there's two columns. Now, the column I'm going to be reading from is going to be a little bit down some of the, you know, on the page. And, you know, the de jure system of governing, all right, uh, common law, that is a system that is created by sovereigns. Okay. Now, 
maybe you've heard of this thing called, I don't know, the Articles of Confederation. Um, the Articles of Confederation, they were agreed to be the, uh, they were agreed to be the United States in Congress assembled on November 15th in the year 1777. And it was ratified March uh, 1st of 1781. Now, from the time of the Declaration of Independence, which occurred July 4th, 1776, to the timeline of the Articles of Confederation, there was a space of time of 16 months and 11 days during this and during this time period, the several nations, states, countries were sovereign unto themselves as relates to foreign earthly powers. Now, there was the first, there was an outstanding debt of 17 million silver lira from French banks over 21 separate um, occasions, all due on December 1st of 1789. So, therefore, there was a bankruptcy charter that had to be drafted. So, September 17th, of 1787, 12 state delegates approved the Constitution. And the states have now become constitutors. Now, what's a constitutor? What's a constitutor? Some of you have probably heard this term before. Now, for some of you that don't know what that is, a constitutor in the civil law, it means one who, by simple agreement becomes responsible for the payment of another's debt. And that's from the Black's Law Dictionary, sixth edition. So again, a constitutor in civil law is one who by simple agreement becomes responsible for the payment of another's debt. So the states were now liable for the debt owed to the king. But the people of America were not. And so the people are not a party to the constitution because it was never put in place for, you know, for them, you know, it was never put to them for a vote. Remember the constitution binds our public servants. And those public servants are technically called what, ladies and gentlemen? Citizens. They are citizens, according to uh, the law of nations. Citizens are public servants of that country. So therefore, because the Constitution is used to, you know, basically shackle them and make sure they stay in their lane with the powers that they are that are enumerated and given to them by the people, by the sovereigns, they are the ones that owe the debt to the foreign nation, not the people. Does this make sense? See, this is why we, we, we have to reassemble our states, ladies and gentlemen, because nobody knows this information. And until this becomes more widespread knowledge, we're still going to keep paying state and federal income taxes, unless you live in Texas or Tennessee or Florida, where there is no state income tax, but you're still going to be paying a buttload of taxes on property and gas and food and wherever else you're getting taxed. And so the states were now liable for the debt owed to the king, but the people of America were not at that point in time because the people are not, again, I'm going to just tell you again, the people are not a party to the constitution because it was never put to them for a vote. <clears throat> now the judge in the Paddleford case, he stated, and I quote, 
but indeed no private person has a right to complain by suit in court on the ground of a breach of the constitution the constitution is true is a compact but he is not a party to it the states are the parties to it and they may complain if they do they are entitled to redress or they may waive the right to complain. Again, that was Paddleford Fay and Company versus the mayor of Alderman of the city of Savannah, 14, Georgia, 438-520. And so there were articles that were established that established a sovereign nation of people, but all constitutions are bankruptcy charters or compacts. Again, articles establish a sovereign nation of people, hence the Articles of Confederation, okay? Articles establish a sovereign nation of people, but all constitutions are bankruptcy charters or compacts. See, President Andrew Jackson paid the debt in the 1830s. In 1832, while discussing the bank renewal bill to the delegation of bankers, he said, you are a den of vipers and thieves, and I intend to rout you out, and by, and by the eternal God, I will rout you out. Wow, that sounds like some pretty strong words. See, President Andrew Jackson vehemently, his vehement opposition to the Second Bank of the United States was rooted in multiple concerns that shaped his fierce determination to dismantle the institution. This is pretty much what Trump is doing right now, along with the you know White Hat Military Alliance. Again, all put forward by the 21 requisitions that were put forward by who? Oh, that's right, the people in General General Assembly from Michigan. But he held deep-seated suspicions about the bank's control over the nation's economy, viewing it as a mechanism that concentrated excessive economic power in the hands of the privileged few while neglecting the broader population. I don't know. It kind of seems exactly like we're seeing again for the fourth freaking time. And Jackson also feared the bank's undue political influence, believing that it undermined a democratic processes and favored specific economic interest at the expense of the common citizen, again, public servant. And moreover, he questioned the bank's constitutional legitimacy, arguing that its centralized authority contradicted the principles of a fair and equitable government as outlined in the U.S. Constitution. See, Jackson's firm stand against the Second Bank reflected his commitment to challenging entrenched power structures, advocating for economic fairness and championing you know, a government that prioritizes the welfare of ordinary citizens over elite interest. And so the Articles of Confederation were still in operation at this point. But then Patrick Henry boycotted the Constitutional Convention of 1787 because, as he so eloquently put it, and I quote, I smell a rat, end quote. He was suspect, you know, and, and he suspected the worst because, you know, that that the independent colonies that had thrived for over a century, a century, 
were to be herded under one consolidated government, a vast government apparatus that was founded not on liberty, but on a bureaucratic, you know, on bureaucratic dreams of monarchists and mercantilists like Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, I'd say there was a rat, all right. Just like we have a bunch of rats within the Michigan General General Assembly and the Montana General General Assembly and the California General General Assembly. There are some rats out there that are trying to basically destroy the progress of what we, the people, are trying to do by returning power back into the people's hands. See, because these people, they know what's going to come their way when the truth finally comes out. And there is a lot of rats. And as their little personal ship sinks like the freaking Titanic, you're going to see the rats run as far up the poop deck as they possibly can to try to save their own necks. But eventually it's going to end in their demise. Again, does this sound familiar? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these, right, among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Let me repeat that, ladies and gentlemen, in case that didn't kind of, you know, marinate in your mind, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or uh, to abolish it and institute new government. Just so you know, that was from the Declaration of Independence, just in case you weren't aware. See, Samuel Adams said, when the people fear the government, they have tyranny. When the government fears the people, they have freedom. There's a lot of truth behind that statement because many governments are established by good people having good intentions, but certain men with bad intentions or another agenda get into government office by some other means, whether if it's lawful or otherwise, but they somehow find you know loopholes and they revise government and its laws to suit their needs and agenda. And then they build an empire within government itself through deception and lies and through the absence of truth. And then over time, they gain a significant amount of power and control over the people while amassing a ton of riches and wealth, extracting the people's well-earned money from the people's labor to finance and increase the empire to such an extent that it would seem difficult for people to rise up against it. And that is what the assemblies of people do, ladies and gentlemen. We tear them damn empires down of these crooked, demon-possessed, pedophiles in the swampland that used to be called freaking DC. Again, I share sentiments with Kirk when he gets frustrated. There's no other ways I could say this. I could sit here and rant and rave and tell you this 80,000 different times, but how many times do you have, do I have to say it before people get the here, you know, understanding this and resonating with this, you have to share these podcasts, not just mine, but Kirk's and, and other people who talk about 
the general general assemblies, the lawful ones, and not people who try to grift and who try to make money off this this movement. This ain't about move. This ain't about money. It's about returning freedom and power and liberty back in the hands of we the people. Apathetic and dependent Americans today are unsuspectingly going into bondage unless America wakes up. That was a quote by Jack Slevikov back in 2006. Very true statement. A very true statement. See, back to Patrick Henry. You know, Patrick Henry's stance against attending the Constitutional Convention of 1787, you know, that reflected his deep reservations about the direction and the implications of the proposed new Constitution. His phrase that I just read, I smell a rat, encapsulates his suspicions and concerns because Henry at that time was very wary that the convention aimed to consolidate power and create a strong central government that might infringe upon the hard-won independence and liberties of the individual states. See, Patrick Henry feared that the proposed framework might lead to an overly bureaucratic system, and it did, that could potentially mimic the governance structure favoring monarchy and centralized authority, and it has. I mean, it's amazing how the FBI and the EPA and the FDA have all these freaking powers. Really? How? The people need to wake their asses up and they need to start realizing that these bureaucracies, their heads need to go on the chopping block, both figuratively and literally. In some cases, if they are proven guilty in crimes against humanity, that is. And so the phrase that he was saying, herded under one consolidated government, he's implying there that, you know, a fear of a loss of the state's individual, you know, individual sovereignty and autonomy. He worried that the states, which had operated independently like a separate country, had varying degrees of freedom under the Articles of Confederation and would be subsumed into a larger, more centralized entity. See, everybody always wants to say the Constitution is the law of the land. The Constitution is the law of the land. And you're taking my constitutional rights. And that's the law of the land. You do not have a constitutional right, ladies and gentlemen, unless you are a citizen, a.k.a. public servant of the government. You are a sovereign man or woman you are the people that that is over the citizen you delegate to the citizen this is what we do in general general assembly ladies and gentlemen we do not take orders from a bureaucratic system they are not even part of government In Henry's reference to a bureaucratic dreams of monarchists and mercantilists like Alexander Hamilton criticizes the potential influence of individuals like Alexander Hamilton, who supported a strong central government in economic policies, favoring a more active role for the federal government in economic affairs. Come on. 
And Henry, like many anti-federalists of his time, was deeply concerned about the erosion of individual liberties and the potential dominance of certain interests through this new system. So in essence, Henry's statement reflects his fear as of the proposed constitution leading to a loss of state sovereignty in overly powerful central government and an environment where individual liberties might be at risk due to bureaucratic tendencies and the potential dominance of specific economic and political interest. Now, on the other side of the coin, with the de facto, the corporation, that was all created by merchants. So you got the de jure, right? Common law, de jure, that was all created by sovereigns. Well, now you got the de facto corporate system of swampland creatures that was created by merchants and bankers and their cohorts, you know, by acts of treason. Um, they also forced the South and other states to secede. President Lincoln fell into their scheme and went along for a while. But then when he realized what he would, you know, what he had done wrong, and he was about to correct it and fix it, that's when they assassinated him, just like they did with JFK. See, you have certain members of Congress that created what, was, what, what we also have been grown up to knowing as the District of Columbia, right? D.C., from portions of two states, Virginia, right? Virgin, Virginia, and Maryland, Mary, Virgin Mary, right? Physically united together, they are the Virgin Mary to form a more perfect union as a new United States. That's the de facto. They use things like U.S. titles and codes in their awkward definitions, and they call D.C. the United States. This is that corporation that they established using the Organic Act of 1871. And so their new United States, and I use that in quotes, right? The new United States includes states such as the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, Guam, the American Samoa, and the Virgin Islands, and the Northern Mariana Islands. It does not include the 50 states united. Interesting. And yet, yeah, you could look that up. Title 26, Section 7701, Definitions A, and then Section 9 and 10. And then you can find that in 42 U.S. Code 405, Section 2, Subsection C, uh, and then subsection, I believe, 7, Roman numeral 7. See, all titles of the United States Code or the USC are strictly meant for the United States and none of the 50 states of the Union. Each of these 50 states have their own constitutions and laws. Michigan's got four state constitutions. And all rule comes from the District of Columbia, which is run by the Gnostic priesthood of the undisclosed mystery Babylon. Some refer to it as Masonic rule because some of the Masonic symbolism is found in the layout of the district's uh, streets, the Washington Monument, the obelisk, right? The Pentagon. And might I add, on the back of the $1 Federal Reserve note, that triangle with the, you know, all seeing eye. You know, it's been said that the best place to hide something is in full view. That's so true. I hope I haven't lost any of you guys, but this is very important. 
People need to know this stuff. People need to awaken to this stuff. This is what I was talking about. See, you bring this up to people over Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner now, now that we're past Thanksgiving, you tell people this stuff, they're going to think you're nuts. Be like, look, do your own damn research. It's out there in the open for people to look at look up but the problem is nobody wants to read nobody wants to do the heavy lifting and listening hell nobody even wants to open up a podcast and listen much less than go and research and read columbia is a name for a goddess of creation did you know that columbia pictures ever wonder why you know when you watch movies you got the little goddess that's holding up a little light stand looking like you know kind of like a cheap statue of liberty in a way columbia is a name of for goddess of creation war and destruction and it's also more known as the goddess of death and pain she is derived from the imagery of the uh uh, the Semiramis, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Semiramis, which is the wife of Nimrod and the queen of Babylon. But see, nobody will go and look that up. See, the statue on the top of the Capitol building called the Statue of Freedom is actually uh, a, a, a Parasphony, uh, I believe is how you pronounce that. Gosh, I, I need to, <laughs> let me see here. I need to look that word up real quick. Hold on. That's a very, very tough word, and I don't want to mispronounce it. Hold on. What is that word? Come on. We're going to do a speak. Let's let's hear it together. Persephone. A Persephone. There it is. A Persephone. That was a big word. I couldn't even pronounce that. But the Statue of Freedom is actually a Persephone, meaning, and I quote, she who destroys the light, end quote. Persephone. She who destroys the light. She is the queen of the underworld. She is crowned with pentacles, right? Pentagrams, stars with five points. And when someone stands on something, it is usually an indication of ownership. Therefore, she owns the facility she stands upon. Although the dome on the top of the Capitol building was not finished until 1868, the final installation of the statue on the top of the dome took place on December 2nd, 1863. And so the original Capitol building without the dome was completed in 1826. And so Columbia and Persephone are seen as other statutes or statues around Washington, D.C. Now, in case you're wondering, Jason, what are some of the Gnostic priesthood that's running DC. That what what are you talking about? Gnostic priesthood. What is that? Well, I know a lot of you have heard of the Illuminati, Skull and Bones Society, right? John Kerry is part of that. Um, you got the Hospitaliers, the Knights of Malta, Knights of Columbus, Knights of the Round Table, which I find very interesting, considering that there's a podcaster out there that used to work with Lena. Uh, you know, um, I forgot her name now, but she has a podcast called Lights of the Round Table. I forgot her name now. I, I, Susanna, I think her name is. I don't know. She's a crazy lady. Lights of the round table, though. And so I find that very interesting how this is kind of part of the Gnostic priesthood. you got the Knights of the Round Table. And it's funny, her podcast is called Lights of the Round Table. Interesting. Then you got Odd Fellows. you got Society of Jesus. Jesuit Priesthood, Club of Rome, Knights Templar, Freemason, Scottish Rite Templar, Temple. 
You got the York Wright Temple, Shriners, Inner Temple Bar, International Temple Bar Association, the Barristers Inn, Zionist, Jesuits, Jesuit Brotherhood, Milnor Group, also known as Milner's Kindergarten, Round Table Group, Rhodes Crowd, Rhodes Scholars, the Times Crowd, you got All Souls Goop, Group, whatever, I think they forgot an R, Group, uh, you got the Cleveden Set, the Society of the Elect, the Association of Helpers, the Junta of Three, or Junta of Three, the Secret Society of Cecil Rhodes, uh, Catham House Crowd, Commonwealth of Nations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group. I know you've heard the Bilderberg Group. And, of course, the CFR, the Council of Foreign Relations. Oh, and magistrates and bar attorneys. Those are all the scumbags that run ran D.C. And since 1873, again, I'm not a big fan of Alex Jones. I think he's a bit of a cuckoo. But I think he's on to something. And he said in, a, uh, in an article that he had on InfoWorld since 18, uh, yeah, 1873, the global elite has held secret meetings in the ancient redwood forest of Northern California. And members of the so-called Bohemian Club include former presidents like Eisenhower, or believe it or not, um, you guys don't have to believe me on this. Um, you can go look it up for yourself, but um, it's actually Eichenhower. But Eisenhower, Nixon, and Reagan were participants in that. The Bush family maintains a very strong involvement. And each year at Bohemian Grove, members of this all-male club, again, all-male club, put on red, black, and silver robes and conduct an occult ritual wherein the worship of, uh, where they, they worship a big giant stone owl. And of course, it's been said that they sacrifice a human being in effigy to what they call the Great Owl of Bohemia. Very interesting. And disturbing. And if you look on the $1 bill, there is a small owl just to the left of the corner, just to the left of the number one, which appears on the upper right-hand corner of the $1 bill. Just FYI. See, these are the occult symbols people have no idea about. So anyways... There is so much more information on this USA versus US.info, but we're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there because, again, there's a lot, a lot to cover here. And I kind of want to keep it, you know, I don't want to say it. Uh, I want to keep it um, in bite sized portions here, right? Easy to digest. So. Um, I think with that, what we're going to do is we're going to end this in prayer. And then we'll uh, we'll probably see you here back live on Wednesday. Tomorrow, I'm probably going to take a break. Probably not going to do a live tomorrow. I'll probably just do a, a recording drop. Um, but I will do a live show. Yeah, I think Wednesday. Maybe. I'm not sure. Because Wednesday, I think, I'm not sure what we have going on Wednesday. I might do a live tomorrow and then, and then you know, a podcast drop on Tuesday without a live show or a Wednesday without a live show. I'm not sure I got to get with the wife and see what the schedule is looking like. But anyway, so let's pray. So Heavenly Father, oh, we humbly come before you and we seek your guidance and we ask for uh, renewal for our beloved nation as we learn more about this country. And as we face challenges and divisions, we ask for your wisdom to guide our leaders. 
uh, to guide our assembly, our reassembly of states, and we ask for your grace to heal our land. Grant us the strength to transcend our differences and to come together in unity and to embrace compassion as well as understanding for one another. Help us seek justice and foster peace with one another. And most importantly, help us extend kindness to all. We really need help with that for sure. We just ask that your light shines upon us, leading us to rediscover the values that bind us as people. Reignite the spirit of unity, respect, and love for our fellow men and women in this country, regardless of creed, race, and background. And we ask for your blessings upon our leaders, that they may govern with integrity, humility, and a heart devoted to serving the common good for the common man and woman. Uh, Give them the wisdom to make decisions that honor your will and uplift the nation. And Father, we pray for a revival of faith and a return to you. Guide us back to the path of righteousness and inspire us to live by your teachings. Let your love and grace permeate our nation, healing wounds and restoring hope. And we pray all this and ask for your boundless mercy. Hear our prayers and bless America in your holy son's name, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. Um, There was one thing. Uh, there is one thing. This is interesting. So I, I'm wondering, I'm telling you, I I feel like I am getting shadow banned. And you guys might be laughing at me like, oh, Jason, come on. You only have like, you know, less than a thousand followers. You only have over a hundred thousand downloads. How are you getting shadow banned? I'm telling you, I'm getting so many people. Like I'm looking at this uh, group text that I have with a bunch of friends. Um, they were saying, couldn't, uh, somebody was saying, couldn't get on Jason's podcast live tonight but I ended up listening to last night's dual governing systems though. Uh, This is very interesting because I'm seeing and hearing of more and more people message me and email me saying that they're having a hard time getting on the live broadcast. This is very interesting. And I'm curious who the hell is doing this and why they're having an issue. Because, you know, when I used to listen to Bards FM or other podcasters or X22 when he, you know, before he got kicked off Podbean, I never had an issue listening live. I never had an issue listening live or, or downloading the, 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 the download for that matter. So why I'm getting picked on over here, I don't know because my internet is top notch. It's good. I mean, it might not be uh, what you would call, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, that, that, uh, Starlink internet. It might not be that, but it definitely is not cheap, slow internet either. So I don't know what's going on, but it's really kind of irritating. Um, now, there is one thing I wanted to play, actually, because it, it, just, it just dawned on me as I was praying. Uh, where is it at? Listen to this real quick. I, I don't know how long this is. I won't play the whole thing if it's long. But uh, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, listen to what he says as he talks about a remnant in this country. Let me pull this up. This is pretty interesting. My, my, do I have a saucy video for you. House Speaker Johnson asked a very deep, profound question in this video, and I want you to watch it. My question is, is God going to allow our nation to enter a time of judgment for our collective sins, which his mercy and grace have held back for some time? Or is he going to give us one more chance 
to restore the foundation, to return to him, this is going to be a shaking that might help answer that question. And so what we need right now, what collectively as a nation, we need to turn to him. We need a revival, obviously, which is what everybody on this call commits to and prays for all the time, I know. But, but more immediately and specifically on Wednesday evening as y'all are gathering, what we are going to need is a prayer for divine intervention in the hearts uh, and among the members of this body that can get beyond their animus, their anger, their frustration, that we can unify as a group and that we can we can navigate our way through this. We will not be able to do it without the Lord's help because it, there's so the flesh is and the mistrust and the, the sin and everything is so great here that we this is going to have to bring people to their knees. And I, look, I, I believe God is about to do something. I'm an optimist. I'm not, I've been reading Jeremiah 1 all morning. That God is, you know, he knows all this, of course. He's brought us to this point, And I believe that there's a remnant of faithful people and he'll guide us through. I don't think God is, is done with America yet. This could be a time of judgment for America. Well, I mean, I, I don't... To, I'd, be, I'd say I'd preach to the choir on this, this Zoom call or maybe the honor choir. You all know the, the terrible state that we're in. Um, the faith in our institutions is as low as it's ever been in the history of our nation. Um, the, 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 the culture is so dark and, and depraved that it almost seems irredeemable at this point. We, you know, we're, we're, the church attendance in America dropped below 50% for the first time in our history since they began to measure the, uh, the data uh, 60 years wow. ago. And the, the number of people who do not believe in absolute truth is now above the majority for the first time. So wow. one in three teen girls uh, contemplated suicide last year. One in four high school students identifies as something other than straight. Um, we're losing the country, but at the same time, th this is not unprecedented. There's nothing new under the sun, and there have been great civilizations and, and societies in the past that God has worked through and saved and redeemed when all hope was lost. And, and there's even been epochs in American history where things were so terrible that we thought that might be the end. But God, right? And so we're we're the only nation in the history of the world, as G.K. Chesterton said, that was founded upon a creed, and our creed is listed with theological lucidity in the Declaration of Independence. It's the second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident. The idea was that we knew that our rights came from God, and thus our allegiance and accountability was to Him. And we walked away from that. So the question is, you know, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. I mean, if, if my people humble themselves and pray and turn from their sin, then I will heal their land, right? But, but are we going to do that? Are we going to be brought to the point where we're humble enough to do that collectively? Humility is coming. And then how large is the remnant that he needs to? Is it, is it, is it 10 righteous men in Sodom as you were texting the other day? I mean, Humility is, is coming. That God would say, okay, I'm redeeming the land. I believe that that is, I believe that that will happen. I believe that God is going to navigate us through this and the good will come of it. But I don't, to be, I don't see the path in this moment. I just know God does. And that's why Tonight I'll go to bed no matter what happens and rest my head. If I get three hours of sleep, it may be less. But when I do sleep, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember the refrain from John Quincy Adams, duty is ours, results are God's. I say it to myself daily. I'll do my duty and then I'm gonna trust the rest of him and I'm at peace with that. Our nation That was amazing. That was Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House. Yes, I know it's the de facto. But he is absolutely right. Our, our culture is beyond redeemable at this point. 
And we need to humble ourselves. We need to get on our knees and the remnant needs to be the one. I tell you what, we, we have, we have a very big uphill battle yet still, I think that we need to be, uh, preparing for. It's not going to be an easy fight. We still have a lot to go yet. Ladies and gentlemen, we still have a lot to do. This podcast, uh, look, I don't know what your view is or what your opinions are. You might think this is the worst show in the world, whatever. Or you might think it's the best one. Cool. I appreciate it. Either way, we do our best to put out what we can that we believe to be truth here. And Mike Johnson, what he said right there, I honestly, humbly, and, and earnestly believe that that is the solid truth. We... I don't think God is done with us yet, but we need to humble ourselves and we need to get our, on our knees and we need to pray. We need to repent. We need to ask God, please be in our land. Be with us. Redeem us. Redeem us, please. I wish I had my Bible with me. There was something I read. I think it was in Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, he was talking about Jeremiah. Oh, I'll find it. I'll, I'll post it tomorrow, maybe on uh, on the Telegram page. But anyway, I, I just before I before I, I I ended, I just I had to play that audio because I forgot I I had it somewhere in my text. Um, I, the audio is a little bad quality because again, it's like a recording on somebody else's broadcast. So I apologize for that. But hopefully, you were able to hear the bulk of that. So, but anyways. I hope you all have an excellent day, excellent night, wherever you're at in the world. And uh, again, I hope you didn't eat too much over over the uh, over the week. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of ran across this today. Romans ten thirteen, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans ten thirteen, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God bless, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night, good day, wherever you're at in the world, and we will see you back here next time. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are firm, we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times, and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show.
Don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. And if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly, go to www.national-assembly.net. That's www.national-assembly.net. It's time to get active, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Joining us here at His Heart Line. We'll see you back here next time.